We're in a series these weeks called You Ask For It. We ask you the top questions uh, that you have that we could uh, go back to the scriptures with and find the answer. And sure enough, we found another one this week. It's the question of, um, uh, it says, what's, what's God's will for my life? What, how do I know what God wants me to do in life? And that's kind of this job thing. How, do I, am I supposed to be busting tables, waiting tables the rest of my life at the, you know, at the restaurant, or does God have something more? Um, it, questions like this. They come out, they don't ask the question, what's God's will? The question comes out like this. Should I marry? If I marry, who should I marry? Um, when should I marry? Where? And then, should I take the new job? Should I get a job? The answer to that is yes, now. You know, right? <laughs> Should I take the new job? Should I get the training that takes me to the new job? Should I go back for more education? Um, and if that involved a move, should I make the move? That's a risky thing. If I were to leave the region and go somewhere else, is that just kind of wishful thinking that something new would be out there, or is that really God's will? That's the question. And there are people who ask that question, and it's, it's a great question, but on the back side, the flip side of that question is this. I, I meet people who are frustrated because they're working to please God, working hard at it. I mean, they're, they're the do-gooders. And they're working hard to please God, and they're not sure exactly how to do that. And they're saying, I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and they're telling me what they're doing. And, they, and it's as if they're, they're frustrated, like their hands are out, like to say, I just can't make him happy. And so they get, actually, they wouldn't say this, but they actually get angry with God. Because they can't seem to please him, no matter what. They say, I tried this, I tried that, I tried this. Have you ever met a person that can never please? It's okay, it's safe. You can raise your hand. Have you ever met a person that just will not be happy? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Grumpy Larry down at the automotive shop or whatever it is. Here, here's the thing. That, that's the wrong view of God, because God can be pleased... And God will be happy, but that's independent of you. He's going to be happy regardless if you are or not. But there is a way for you to figure out what his will is. I'm in Romans chapter 12 this morning. We're going to look at six other passages, but let's begin with Romans 12. And if you're taking notes, flip the notes over to the second page. We're going to start at the back end. I'm going to give you the back end piece and then go to the front. We'll start from the front end. So I'm going to begin with the end in mind this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 say, Therefore... I urge you, brothers, or I beg of you, another translation says, I beseech you, in other words, the really strong words here, brothers and sisters, generic of, of mankind, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your lives, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your true and proper worship. And do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing, changing over the forces of your mind, the renewing of your mind, and then, get that, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's then that you'll be able to know it. His good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. It's only going to happen when you offer your life as a, as a living sacrifice. Now, some people will say, I, if I could figure out God's will, and then I would know it, and then I'll decide whether or not I'm going to do it. Okay? I, first, I want to shop the store. That's conditional. And God says, I don't operate that way. No, you have to be committed to it before he reveals the intimacy of his own heart for his will upon your life. 
He doesn't reveal his will to you if you aren't committed to follow him as a living sacrifice. Some would say, well, I'd like to do that, but I want to control the outcomes. I want to pick the path, and along that path of life, then I want to ask God to bless me. You know, oh, God, bless me while I do this. And that's not where God wanted you anyway. So he's not going to bless that. That's a prayer that bounces off the ceiling. And some would be contrary to say, I'm afraid that if I do God's will, he's going to send me to a place I hate to live. I mean, I hate alligators. He's going to send me to Louisiana. I hate snow. He's going to send me to Alaska. Okay? That's, again, wrong view of God. Because why? The end of the verse says, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This, in other words, your life will be closer to the Garden of Eden, which was perfect prior to sin, when you follow his will. Because it's his, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. Couldn't get any better than this. That means uh, I have to offer my life as a sacrifice. Now, um, uh, baseball season's open. Don't you just love um, anybody watching Bryce Harper? To watch a game is to watch a home run. You, you plays for the Nationals. You know, I, I wish we were friends or something. Just, you know, he's just a great ball player, you know. But he doesn't hit sacrifice flies. He hits it over the wall. But you know what a sacrifice fly is, don't you? It's where you hit a ball in the air to advance a runner on base. So you give up your ability to get to base in order to get someone else around for the greater cause. That's a sacrifice fly. Now, I've been doing those all my life. It's just that there's no one been on base when I do them. He had another sacrifice fly, but there was no one on base. Those are also called bloopers. You know, just, it was a nice, easy, lofty ball into center field. Easy for the, catch, for the center fielder to get. You give up your invite to advance in order to give it to someone else. That's the sacrifice. Okay? What God says is this. I want you to give your life, not as a one-time sacrifice, but as an ongoing, living sacrifice. Every day I give up my rights to advance the cause of God's kingdom and his glory and his honor, and it's every day. Quite frankly, it's easier to do it once and for all and be done and then not have to ever go back to it, you know? But that's not what he's asking. He's asking that every day you be a living, ongoing sacrifice. That affects, uh, that affects my body. It, it, am I making right choices with my body because it's no longer mine? I've been bought with a price, therefore I glorify God with my body. It affects my soul, what's going on in my emotions, how I feel about things, and how God really views me instead of the way people view me. It affects not only the body, the soul, but also the spirit. How am I connected with God? And am I living to please him or am I living to please myself or living to please other people? Or am I living to control other people or control situations or am I living for power? Or am I living to please God with my life? See, that's an ongoing... And for us, for some of you, it's the body issue. It's others, it's the soul. Others, it's the spirit. And others, it's the mind. What's going on in the head game? What's the thinking all about? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, the Gospels tell us. Even in my thinking that I love God, even in my thinking, so the thoughts that aren't aren't in step with what God would have, I cast those out, Corinthians says. And I put in the right thoughts, 
bringing captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Okay. Now, so you're asking, what's God's will? Number one, that you give your life to him and that you're totally, unequivocally committed. No matter what he does, no matter how he directs you, I'm going to do it. Before I even know, Lord, the answer for me is going to be, yes, I'm going to do that. Okay? But if you're conditional about it, if you want to control it or you're contrary, then give it up. It's not going to happen. You'll live a frustrated life. You'll go to heaven because you're Christian, but you're going to miss out on knowing his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Now, having said all that, turn your notes back over, and I want to give to you six particulars. Now that I've given you the one condition, let me give you the six particulars about God's will. Because you can find God's will. It can be found. Okay? God's will can be found. Um, first, 2 Peter chapter 3. First of all, we learn this. It is God's will that you be saved. 1 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. So, in other words, the judgment hasn't come yet. Why? Because he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Not wanting anyone to perish. He wants, another version says, he wants all men to be saved. That's his will. I'm not making that up. That's not what I wish for, what I hope for. I know it. Why? Because uh, Peter writes the very message from God, carried along by the Holy Spirit, settled as part of the canon of Scripture. It is his will that you come to Christ in faith. That's where real life begins. Uh, you have to wonder no more. You have to, uh, don't have to speculate. He, if you've ever doubted, I wonder if God really wants me in heaven. I wonder if God really wants me as his child. He wants you saved from sin, from yourself, and from a wasted life. And it is the lie of Satan, get this, to say, well, you're not worth saving, or you're too good to be saved. You don't need to be saved. Or, or uh, your life is too aimless, your life is too useless. No, that's what it'll be apart from Christ. But in Christ... He recalibrates all of the direction of your life. God wants you to come in personal faith. Matthew chapter 18, it's the story of the sheep. What does the shepherd do? He's missing one. He goes out looking for it. He doesn't say, oh, oh, oh I've got 99. I'll, I'll sell. I'll, I lost one. That's okay. No, he's missing one. He closes the pen and goes out looking. That's how much he wants you to be saved. Matthew 18. First Timothy chapter 2. God wants all men to be saved. This is a repeated theme throughout Scripture. So what's God's will? Number one, that you be saved. Number two, God's will is that you be wise. You're going to have a lot of decisions in life to make, and you need to make the best use of the knowledge that you have, and that means I have to think the way Jesus thinks, go to the heart of God, understand the bigger picture. That's, those are all issues of wisdom. That's like a muscle that needs to grow and God's will is that you be very careful and you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish. It's like he's repeating the passage again. Don't be unwise. He uses a different term now. Don't be foolish, but understand what God's will is. You have to know it, and if you're a fool about it, you'll never get it. It'll come right up to you, but you'll, you'll never really see it. So he's saying, don't be unwise, don't be a fool. And the days are evil. They're out to mess you up. So you have to be wise in every decision. So you have to wise up, 
get tough about following the Lord regardless, because they thought, really, this is a passage about drunkenness, really. They thought drunkenness was a great way to get high and kind of cruise through in life. Kind of the way, uh, same deal with drug addiction today. You think that's the way to cruise through life. And he's saying, don't get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Colossians chapter 3 parallels this again. Spirituality is going to come through the, indu- the introduction of the word. It will Actually, the psalmist says it will purify your heart. It will change your motives. So if you're saying, well, my heart's too sinful or my mind's too scattered, no, put the word of God in your heart, in your mind. It is God's will that you get the word of God in your head. The word of God in your head will help you be wise. It will be, lead you in the path of wisdom. That's why every day you just need to get a dose of God's word. No matter where you are or what you're doing. Read a couple of chapters. Read them over again. You don't have to run through the scriptures at mass pace. Read through Joshua or Judges. or Every day a proverb. Get a proverb of the day. Read through the New Testament book. Like Philippians is four chapters. Read it four days in a row. Just a chapter a day. And then read it again. And then read it again. That will help change your mind about the way you view your own life. It's the entrance of God's word that gives to us life, and you'll be wise about life when the word of God gets in you. So, it's God's will that you be saved. It's God's will that you be wise. Number three, it is God's will that you be holy. You don't even have to pray about this. God, should I be holy today or unholy? Should I be holy today or should I be <laughs> you know, wild and crazy? And the answer is be holy because I'm holy. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It is God's will that you be sanctified. It's the word hagias. It's the Greek word for holy. And that you live a life of holiness and that you avoid, get away from sexual immorality. That's just an illustration of how unholiness can get in under you and get at your life and tear kind of a separation between you and God. So ask yourself this. When you're praying about God's will, God's will... You want to know God's will about a particular situation. Is this, is this new job, is this new commitment, is this move, whatever it is, is this education, is it going to help me be holy? Is it going to promote holiness in my life? If it doesn't, it may not be God's will. It may be neutral, but if it's not promoting God's will, you, you need to call it into question. And if it's pulling you away from God, then you know that's not going to be God's will for you. So ask yourself, does it promote holiness? If not, then why am I involved in it? Ask yourself this, is it good for my soul? Have you ever had something like, you have the right to do it and the freedom to do it, and, and there's no one in, in the church or the body of Christ or in your small group, there's no one saying, no, you shouldn't do that. But you know it creates somehow a coolness of your own soul, a softness about following Christ. That you, 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 aren't, you aren't as committed to Christ then you know that's not God's will for you. If it's draining your life, then that's probably not God's will for you. Ask yourself this, is this pulling me towards Jesus or is it pulling me away from Jesus? Um, People will ask me all the times about questionable matters and they'll ask, they want me to set the kind of the borders on their life, but if I set them, then they're going to just sneak. They need to set them for themselves. So I asked them a question, is this going to make you more like Jesus or less? Well, probably, they don't like the answer to that. You know why? Because they know what the answer is. If it doesn't promote spirituality, there are times 
you ask yourself, if this isn't going to make me loyal to Jesus, then why am I watching it? And how many of you have a TV at home? Okay, less than I would have expected. Okay. There are ads that come on our TV that we just mute. We have a button that just do that. I don't need to see that. I don't need to hear that. I certainly don't need people around me seeing that, hearing that. I don't need it. It doesn't draw me closer to Jesus. In fact, it makes sin more accessible, more acceptable. I don't want to soften to that. Okay? Hit the mute button. When it's over, go back to Wheel of Fortune or whatever it was you were watching. Yeah. Is that show still on? Wheel of Fortune? Okay. Pat Sajak was like nine years old when he started that. So, ask yourself, is this going to draw me closer to Jesus? And if it does, then great. And if it cools your devotion to the Lord, that's telling you something about God's will, isn't it? Yes. Number four, God's will is that you make an impact for good. God's will is that you make an impact for good. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. You have to look at your life and find in your life the points of life, of light. And if you're consumed with yourself, then you won't be turning on points of light. But you have to be doing good. And this is not to do good salvation. What this is, is doing good because that is God's will. But it's God's will that you make an impact where you are for good. And it, it not only is good for you to do the good thing, the right thing, but then it silences the talk of what Peter calls the foolish people, the ignorant people. It silences the talk. I hear this all the time. Oh, Christians are such haters. Is that right? Oh, who was the first on the scene in Haiti when the earthquake happened? It was non-profit Christian organizations. A lot of them were churches and parachurch mission organizations. Did you know that? They showed up before other countries did, because other countries had red tape to go through. Churches didn't have that red tape. They had the funds and the supplies, and they were the first on site. Oh, really? Yeah. Watch what you see, and you'll see, even in the news media, most of the time, that's benevolent Christian work happening. You're overcoming evil with good, see? So, it's God's will that you make an impact for good, not just to live a holy life to yourself, but be an influence for good, a point of light, and that silences the arguments Christians are, and then fill in the blank, some term. Number five, it's God's will that you endure unjust treatment. This is getting hard, isn't it? Yeah. Really getting hard. There will be days that you are treated unfairly because you're a Christian. Don't be surprised by that. You know, we're going to land in heaven, and people in America are going to say, you know, I didn't live for Jesus like I should, because I didn't get the promotions I wanted, because I, I didn't want to travel weekends, I wanted to be in my church. And so I, I made good money, but I could have made more money. I could have had more promotions. They, just, it, they profiled me as a Christian, and I didn't get the advancement on the job. You'll be in heaven next to a guy who said, yeah, I got eaten by a lion. Okay? It was a bad day for me, too. I, I, I have no idea how, how to compare that. I have no idea how to compare that. 
your job is God's will for you to do good, and then in doing good, you will endure injustice in the world because you are right and you have a standard of holiness about your life. And because of that, you'll endure injustices. And when you get those injustices, just know this. You're standing in a long line of guys like Paul and Barnabas and Mark and John and Peter. Legend is said about one of the disciples, they were going to hang him on a cross like Jesus. They wanted to kill him. He said, please don't do that. And he said, why? He said, I'm not worthy to hang on a cross like Jesus. I'm not that good. They hung him upside down. And that's how he died. You will endure uh, uh, injustices in life. Wear it as a badge that you know. You know what? There'll be days that it comes my way. For it is better if it's God's will, Peter writes, for you to suffer for doing good. That means you're actually doing something productive and something good in life. That is God's will. And don't be surprised by that. Don't be discouraged by that. I'm not telling you to wear it like a badge of pride or honor. But I am saying that is a point of light. That is a point of passage. It's God's will that you, on occasion, will have unjust treatment. Don't be surprised by it. Paul writes it to the church in Galatians, we bear in our bodies the mark of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the whippings he's talking about. 2 Timothy chapter 3, everyone who wants to live a godly life, Paul writes to the young preacher Timothy, he will be persecuted. You will, you will endure unjust uh, happenings in your life. It's just going to happen. So it's God's will that you endure un, unjust treatment. Get used to that thought and don't be surprised or discouraged by it. Number six, it's God's will that you have an attitude check. Dave, Dave, you don't get it. I'm going through unjust treatment. Yeah, and God wants you to be happy even in the midst of it. He uses terms like rejoice. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. No. Again, I say it, rejoice. And then pray continually. Keep the connection with the Lord and that keeps your humility, helps you get perspective on what's really happening, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and then rejoice, pray continually, give thanks. So I'm joyful, prayerful, thankful. That's the mark of the Christian right here. Joyful, prayerful, thankful. Even in the midst of injustices. It is God's will that you have this attitude check because here's the deal. Really good Christians, we really focus on the truth. And that's the way it ought to be. We have good reason to do that because the truth sets us free, it sets us right, puts us on the true north position to, to honor the Lord. But sometimes when we're all that committed about obeying the truth, we get gruff and stiff and somehow get our, get, the joy seems to float away and we, that obedience becomes sterile and we could become critical, know-it-alls, we're way too serious, can't laugh at ourselves. We, you know, and I, I would like to think, this happened to the Apostle Paul, he gets beat up, thrown in jail. It's a hole in the ground, chained to a guard. And what does he do that night? He sings hymns. How would it be? Would you, if you got beat up, thrown in jail, would you sit there in jail and go, indescribable, uncontainable? <laughs> no, we'd be saying, get me out of here now. I don't like this, right? 
We have it so easy in, in comparison to Christian history. It's just amazing that, that, that Christians, um, we could be critical or somehow stiff or lost in our, we lose the joy. And Paul's saying, remember, pray. Don't lose the joy. Rejoice in every situation. Rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians. And again I say, he says, rejoice. He wrote that from jail, by the way. And then Thessalonians, rejoice, pray, give thanks. Always be thankful for everything that God brings our way. That is God's will concerning you. God's will is that those marks be so clear that that describes you. That if you were to say, oh, you need to... I want you to meet so-and-so. And what are they like? Well, they're really joyful. And they, they talk to God, it seems like, in and out all day. And they're, they seem to be thankful for everything. It doesn't really matter what it is. They just seem to be content. If that describes you, you know you're walking in God's will. Now, there, God's will gives us a lot of freedom to do lots of different things. You know that? I'm giving you six, go to the bank, what the word says, about doing God's will. You can go to the bank and he wants you to be saved, wants you to be holy, uh, wants you to be, have an attitude check, wants you to understand you're going to endure, you're going to have tough days, it's okay. When you get that down and you're doing God's will in those other areas, he's going to give you a lot of freedom to do it and he'll give you lots of what we call opportunities in life. And when he does that, he'll open doors and you can talk with God and lay out your requests and, and he will lead you. Psalm 23 he will direct your paths, Proverbs. Why? Because he is a loving God who knows what is your, the good and the pleasing and the perfect will, Romans chapter 12. That's why we conclude, I beg of you brothers, I just am asking you so strongly, by the mercies of God, you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. That's that's an act of worship, he says. And when you do that at the end of the passage, then you will know, and you'll be able to test, and you'll be able to go to the bank on it, what is good and is pleasing and his perfect will is for your life. I can't tell you if you need to make the move. I can't tell you if you should take the job. I can't tell you who you should marry or if you should marry. I can tell you this. We've heard from the Lord what his will is. When we get those settled, those major issues settled, these other things will fly by us and we'll be living to love the Lord, to, to please him in every way, and we'll know his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. Amen, church? Amen. Let's stand together for prayer. We'll be off the side to pray if you need to pray. If you need to trust Christ as Savior, if you need to follow the Lord, you've never made the commitment to follow the Lord. I just encourage you at the end of the service, step up to the front, to the left. We'll be happy to pray with you and for you. It'd be our honor. May it be our delight, O oh Lord, not that we get the six points down in the one condition, but may it be our delight to follow you and may we be marked as followers of the Most High God through the Son, Jesus, in the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. May we live to please you and live to accomplish your will in our lives. We know you're up to something good. and You've begun something good in our lives. May you bring it to completion in Jesus Christ. We pray this to the glory of his name. The church says amen.